Hello, and welcome to the Nature Wise podcast. We're talking about ancient wisdom, natural intelligence, and the regenerative revolution with inspiring guests, tips, tools, and stories that reconnect you to nature's wisdom and your inner wisdom. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Let's get started. Hello, Tom. Hey, Michael. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. A couple of years? What, Ben? You know, I came out to see you in 2015. I just looked it up. That was fun. And I met some members of your family that day. Yeah, I think you met Kimberly. Yes? Yeah, Kimberly, were you there? Were you there? When when I came out to to interview your dad? uh, No, you know what? I, I think it was Nicole. I think I would have remembered that. Yeah, I think it was Nicole. Yeah, yeah. so good. To- anyway, it was a very helpful interview, and uh, I was just getting oriented in the subject, and uh, I got a lot out of it. So I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful too. And are, are you're not you're you moved from you were in Connecticut, now you're over in Berkeley. We've lived in Berkeley for a while. I spend part of the year still in Connecticut, but we basically live in Berkeley and have since certainly since then. I think we moved out here in 2003. Wow. So I recognize the garage from uh, the video you did with Michael Ziegler. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, I'm working on getting him a background so he can hide some of his. No, I like it. I think it's good. It's very real. Right. <laughs> All I got to sell is what's real. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, thank you so much for um, for being open to doing this. It's it's really good to uh, to see you both here and. Um, Michael, I know I met you at an EWG Environmental Working Group event years ago, but, um, but at the Ferry Plaza, at one of their benefits. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ken and I did a lot of work together, so he invited me to a couple of those, and he's such a good guy. He is. He does great work. Yeah. yeah just so, um, just remind me what the fate of this video is. So um, that is a very good question. Um, I. I um, I would imagine we'll end up putting it on my dad's website and some social media. So um, if I can you know, just be really transparent, one of the things that has come up in our family and dad, I, I don't think you would mind me sharing this, but cut me off if you do. Um, but uh, you know, my dad, um, my sister and I have been, you know, since we've been adults have been, you know, looking for ways like how do we share our dad's wisdom, you know, like we think we're so lucky to be born to him and he's so humble and um, doesn't believe in marketing and, you know, and it's very, you know, uh, you know, like we, we argue with him because he is a shaman, you know, shamans call him a shaman, the people he, um, in, you know, uh, mentored with call him a shaman. And when we try to say you're a shaman, he's like, oh, you know, we don't, we don't use that. And, you know, in today's world of kind of pop-up shamanism, you know, he's even more cautious. So one of the things that's been hard with the pandemic for our family um, is, you know, my dad's work is largely in person, yeah. um, you know, and working with people in ceremony and, and really private situations. And, um, and so my sister and I have been really trying to find ways to um, better support him um, so that, you know, open more doors of, you know, financial fruitfulness for him and my mom. Um, and help him um, through this chapter on a, you know, really kind of practical level, um, but also really try to like capture, you know, his, his wisdom in more ways to be able to share it with more people. And, um, 
And so, you know, trying, we're like working on, you know, rebuilding his website and, and um, you know, he's been doing some weekly community gatherings on Zoom and um, just really wanting to encourage um, you, dad, to, you know, do more of these kind of things. And my Nicole and I were talking about like, well, who would be a cool person to do, um, you know, like a, a kind of interview with on, on Zoom um, and, and, and have that then to share and, um, and help kind of launch whatever his next chapter is going to be or just grow, you know, more, more people learning about his work. And, and Nicole said, well, what about Michael Pollan? He's, he's like such a like great man. And he, you know, seems to really care about dad. And, um, you know, they have a just lot Don't of call me a shaman, please. Similarities. I will try not to call <laughs> it. <laughs> so anyways, so. Um, okay, great. Does that all sound? Uh, and, that all and, sounds fine. Yeah, I'm happy to help. And, uh, and I would uh, happy to talk we, to Tom. Anything that we edit, you know, down into something that we would share, we can certainly share it with you first and make sure you're cool with how it all turns okay, out. Okay, good. But I'm, I'm guessing this will be cut into shorter bits. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Good. Where should we start? Okay. Um, well, first, I just want to say, like, how good it is to be here. Can you hear, Dad? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Loud and clear. All systems before, go. Um, before you start, let, I'm going to say something. Okay. okay. So, um just dropping in here. So, so Michael, that's, that's Kimberly and Nicole's agendas. I just want to speak to my agenda. Okay. Um, so kind of tuning in this morning, first of all, thankfulness, gratitude for you taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. And so I was just kind of tuning into, um, I call it, you know, like what spirit had in mind for bringing the three of us together today. And, and so one of the things that came through for me was how, both your life and my life has been very significantly touched and impacted by our relationships to plants. Without question. Yeah, without question, totally transformed my life. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that and just take a moment to give thanks to the plant spirits and all their different manifestations that have so blessed your life and my life. And of course, every human being's life or we wouldn't be here. So, yeah, but many people don't stop to consider it. Exactly, but I, I just, but that's why I wanted to say my agenda is just bringing the three of us together because Kimberly brings her own, besides her wonderful wanting to pimp for her dad, she brings her own, uh, you know, intelligence and her own creativity and her own awareness. So spirit bringing the three of us together and my agenda is just to open up to whatever's coming through any of us that this, the plant spirits or great spirit or whatever you want to call it might want to use us for to bring through to reach a larger audience. That's my- Good, yeah. No, I think plants have been using me for a long time and definitely using you too. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's my agenda. Okay, Kimberly, go Thank ahead. Thank you for that. And, and um, you know, that was actually something that I was going to share too, that, you know, one of the things that I've been taught by you, dad, and the, you know, different indigenous wisdom elders that have been a part of our life through your work, is you know that we're all here for a reason, right? And we're all here for a reason at this this time in history. And um, when Nicole first said, you know, hey, would you be interested in moderating a conversation between Dad and Michael? At first, I was like, yeah, wow, that'd be so cool. And then I got really nervous because I thought um, they're really intimidating. They're both um, you know such pioneers in their work, and they're both such great intellects. And um, well, you know, I've done a lot of um, well, not compared to both of you, but I've, you know, done a fair amount of 
um, speak public speaking and been a keynote speaker and moderated panels, but I've never had this dynamic of being here with my dad and and with this you know um, accomplished you know author and and thought leader. Both of you really are are thought leaders and authors and and so um, so what my my work in preparing for this was really like a prayer of of how can this conversation um, best serve those who might listen at whatever point in the future. Um, and, and then I was like, well, gosh, where do we start? And, and, um, and what came to me after I put that question out there was the word intersectionality, um, because both of you have really been pioneers in, um, in places where things come together that a lot of people in the world, or at least in, in contemporary Western world, um, don't think of them as being connected, you know, um, from spirituality and science to um, psychedelics and healing, food and where it comes from. You know, these are things that in our, um, you know, lives we're, we're keenly aware of, I think at this point, but it was only, gosh, 16 years ago that I remember taking my son, who's now 19, on a field trip and, um, and we were doing like a field uh, stream restoration project and little kids where we were walking by some cows and I said to the kids, well, make sure you say hi to the cows and tell them thank you for all their relatives that have given you hamburgers, you know? And the kids were like, huh? You know, and now I think now most kids, you know, growing up um, have a greater understanding again because we had it a long time ago. So anyway, so this, this intersectionality and coming together of different, um, intellectual concepts and, and things in the world. So I'd love for um, you both to just kind of talk about what role you think intersectionality has had in your lives and, and how it um, can serve us today. Um, do you want to turn on record? Um, I thought I had it on record. Yes. Usually, I do. I do are you it. recording? It usually yeah. tells me if you're recording. Oh okay. yeah, I did not. Okay. As long as you're recording. Yeah. So well, I hope I am. If I could just start, I would say that yeah, my work has been, a lot of my work has been very simple and that it's about connecting dots. But one of the um, downsides of a highly complex, intricate economy and society is that it hides the connections between things from us so that we don't see our dependence on plants. So that children don't realize that cows must die for them to eat hamburgers. It's very easy, you know, food comes in a shrimp, a shrink wrapped package. Meat is presented without bones or any evidence of animals now. And so there's work to be done recalling people to very simple realities. Um, I've often said that, I mean, just alluding further to my food work, that, that what I, what I did around food with Omnivore's Dilemma was something that you could not have published a book about a hundred years before because everybody knew where their food came from. Yeah. Um, the work didn't need to be done. And I think that's true about a lot of aspects of our lives. I think the pandemic has shown us a level of interconnectedness, for example, that we lost. That the so-called essential worker really is essential to you. These are people who we've ignored and abused for a long time. Um, and that, we, you know, everybody learned a lot about their dependence on farms and farmers uh, in the early days of the pandemic. So yeah, I think that um, 
I'm not that conversant with the term intersectionality. Um, so I don't use it that often because I really don't know exactly what it means. But if it means what you suggested it means, <laughs> then yes, I, I would say that's an important part of, of uh, what I do and what I like to do. Yeah. I think um, it is what you do. <laughs> Michael, I don't use that word. I've heard it before. Uh, I, I, I assume I have some sense of what it, it's meant by people who use it, but I don't use it myself. So uh, just noticing my, my response to your bringing that up, Kimberly and Michael, you're sharing, uh, it brings up a, 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 a story of an experience that I think speaks to intersectionality in um, maybe a little kind of bizarre way. Uh, so it goes back to uh, experience uh, my first experience with uh, LSD in 1966, which was legal at the time and the source of what uh, the active alkaloids come from plants in, in LSD before Albert Hoffman synthesized uh, at Sandoz the, the, the uh, chemical, chemical that he came up with. So I, I have an experience of intersectionality through that experience in which everything is interconnected and woven through time and space because all uh, external uh, manifestations dissolves at a certain point into an underlying experience of cosmic consciousness in which everything's connected. So I have that blissful experience. I'm still working on integrating that 50 some odd years later. But the intersectionality part of it uh, that I wanted to share was I was an undergraduate at San Francisco State at the time. Um, poor student, um, trying to make ends meet, working part-time, going to college full-time. And uh, Andrea, you're, or my wife, she met Andrea, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, we weren't married at the time, we were dating, but she was down in LA and I was in San Francisco. So periodically I'd call her like once a week. And in those days, there was a way you could take a, um, a um, uh, paper clip, straighten it out and stick it into the phone and wiggle it around. And you could make a connection with, to call anywhere in the world you wanted for free. So. <laughs> So I did that, of course, all the students were doing that. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, a couple of days after the LSD experience, I'm in that phone booth in, 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 uh, across from, from uh, Golden Gate Park where I lived at the time. And I'm taking the, the uh, paper clip out and getting ready to stick it in there. And all of a sudden, in a way, I'm busted in the phone booth by my experience of quote unquote intersectionality because it, it comes into my awareness about it so because everything's connected. So what you're about to do, Tom, is um, it's not it's not legal. It's not right. You're, you're, you're basically you're stealing something. Not that I have any respect for AT and T or the corporation it, it is and how it rips people off in one way or another. But in terms of my own morality, my own uh, integrity at the time was. Okay, so if you believe in what you just experienced with how everything's connected, you're doing something that a part of you knows is not right. So boom, I was busted with that. And to my chagrin, I wasn't, I had to put the paper clip back in, <laughs> back in my pocket and not make the phone call and walk out of there. Shit, I'm not sure about all of this. <laughs> That's what your word of intersectionality brings up for me. I like that example. I mean, and I think that is one of the really interesting, relevant things about psychedelics is that so many people report the same phenomenon of seeing connections that they didn't see before, of feeling less separate, feeling less atomistic. Um, 
and that is uh, such a necessary thing right now because we tend to feel very separate uh, and more now you know during the pandemic than ever before. Um, so it seems to me that psychedelics can really be uh, an antidote to one of the the greatest ills of modern life that way. Yeah, I think that's um, the root cause of all of our problems in the world. I'd be interested to hear your response to this, Michael. But I'm always interested in not, not treating the symptoms, but, but not just treating the symptoms, but going to the root cause of things. So the Eurocentric um, consciousness that we've been socialized into, hypnotized into, is all based on the perception of Newtonian basis of perception of, of separation, that we're all separate things, not connected. And so therefore we can do whatever we want to other people uh, or to the environment because it's separate from us. And, and therein is, is the cause of all the problems, the root problems, but as far as I can see. And so, as you said, the word antidote to that is, uh, and giving the, the shortening time period, to period we have before it's too late to do anything, uh, what, what are the most powerful tools we have available to us to help expand open consciousness, to give people an experiential sense of the interconnectedness, the oneness. And that what we do to the earth, what we do to, to even though white people are privileged like us, benefit from the system, systemic racism, it's, and it's not hurting us overtly on the soul level it is because we're all connected. And so wherever there's injustice done to anyone, uh, it, it hurts all of us. So it seems to me that uh, addressing the root, the root cause of so many of the problems, not all of them, in the world today is what can we do to expand consciousness? Now, I'm not saying psychedelics is for everybody. It's not, it's power, they're powerful substances. They have to be used responsibly. I'm a little concerned about um, the expansion of people being trained as psychedelic therapists, totally in a, in a clinical model without, without, to me, the most important aspect of it, the spiritual relationship of it all, because it all comes down to spirit. But nevertheless, Anything that has the potential to expand our consciousness and give more of us the, the experience of true reality, ultimate reality, our interconnected oneness, I think we need to really pay good attention to and how to use them responsibly. And I thank you, Michael, for your work helping bring to a mainstream audience that kind of awareness. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, another way to put the problem is uh, egotistical thinking, right? I mean, a, a certain... Um, you know, the ego uh, not only elevates the self and the subject as a, uh, in opposition to the object, it also builds walls. Um, it's defensive, it's a defensive structure. And um, one of the things I found most powerful about psychedelics was the, uh, its ability to transcend ego, either soften it or obliterate it, depending on the particular experience. Um, and I do see the usefulness of that. I think that we arrive at a really difficult crossing though when we figure out, okay, we have a tool that does this, that seems to answer, seems to be an antidote to this problem of egotistical thinking and a sense of separateness. But then, but then what do you do? And, you know, I think that that has been, uh, a dilemma from the from the very beginning of psychedelics, um, and I wrote about this a little in my book. 
you know, the, there was the Timothy Leary model of, uh, that the answer to this is to turn on as many people as you can. And he even calculated how many millions of Americans would have to take LSD or psilocybin before the culture changed. I forget it was three or four million. Um, and then you had other people who were very alarmed at that approach and thought that it needed to be, it was such a powerful substance. It wasn't for everybody. And that maybe you should, you know, this is Aldous Huxley or Al Hubbard. Maybe you should give it to the elites and the and this or influencers and this kind of consciousness would filter down. So it's one thing to have a, a drug or a, 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 a medicine that answers to our needs. And then it's another thing like, well, okay, well, how do you introduce it to society? I'm curious to know what your thoughts about that are. Yeah. yeah. And I would add a layer of question around that too. Um, how do we introduce it to people in a way that that honors the the indigenous people that mm -hmm. first yep. work with it, um, and and then also the sort of the duality of you know right now there's there's definitely you know a increased awareness and and a kind of a movement you talked about like you know giving it to the elite of society and i we're certainly seeing that with the interest in you know to silicon valley you know tech executives yeah. and such and um and then how it filters down in in one hand that's like so great right because it's this interest in this powerful tool that you wrote about michael in how to change your mind um you know it's like that broadening of interest in this powerful tool but then also teaching the 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 sacred responsibility of, of how to use it, you know, both safely and, and um, spiritually and, and, and all that. So I'm curious about that too. Yeah. Yeah, so let me just take a moment to listen to, to the question that's posed here. The very fact that so many people in Western culture, I don't know what the percentage is that are on some kind of a prescription drug or a tranquilizer or something like that uh, speaks to the uh, angst that majority of people are feeling. Mm -hmm. This is pre-COVID, of course. With COVID, it's 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 you know it's on steroids, but uh, existential angst about we we have such incredible uh, material abundance, but instead of bringing us more peace of mind, it's done just the opposite. So a starting place, I think, might be uh, um, it's basically raising people's consciousness about the op about offering them an opportunity to address that existential angst that um, has been used for tens of thousands of years by by people around the world who pay attention to how nature actually works. Because if they don't pay attention to it, they're not going to live in harmony with it, and they're going to get recycled. Mm -hmm. About the, the indigenous people here where I live, the ancestor spirits, uh, the Pomo and Miwok, and they've been around here for at least 10 or 15,000 years. Is our culture right now going to be around in 10 or 15,000 years? Not the way we're going now. No, not on this trajectory. So they didn't have the, uh, uh, the material uh, possessions or abundance that we have, and our culture, and it's... it's, it's Ignorance, it's, it's arrogance and ignorance it says that it's a primitive culture because it didn't have the material advancement 
that we have. But they had an understanding about how reality works and how to be in, how to live in harmony and balance with it. So um, increasing information that, uh, uh, to people. Number one, here, here's a problem. Here's here's the root pro here, here's the root of that problem that we both agree on. Now this this uh, Newtonian perspective on what reality is based on perceptions of separation, that's not been the history of our people, of humanity for our time on the planet. That's a relatively recent newcomer. It comes out of the Industrial Revolution and the Renaissance and the emphasis on the, on the, on the individual. And of course, there's wonderful aspects to that, the individual rights and the importance of that. Uh, but we've lost the, the larger context of understanding about right relationship with this incredible, like Martin Luther King's phrase, this, this, this uh, world home that we've inhabited. And our technologies reached a place where it's, it's poisoning the earth and has the potential to eliminate us through a nuclear holocaust or whatever. And uh, we don't have that much more time to, 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 to wake up. So the indigenous people around the world have in their history the understanding of a different conceptual framework of what true reality is, the interconnected oneness. That's what we need to get back to. That's what we need to, to uh, open our awareness to an experiential sense of understanding. So it's not just an abstraction, but we are all connected in what we do to the other. We do to our children, we do to our grandchildren. We, what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves, we do to our grandparents, we do to our the generations to come. So there's, there's a, uh, a track record before we got off into this bender of the Newtonian perceptions of reality as objects that uh, the people had from, from paying attention to how things works. And one of the main things they'd learned uh, about how things works that all around the world are certain plants that we eat that give us life. And without those plants, we, we're not gonna be able to live. There's a certain category of other plants uh, that grow in different form, different manifestations around the world that aren't for feeding our physical bodies, but are for feeding our spiritual bodies, helping us to attune, open awareness, interconnecting with the, the awareness of, of uh, cosmic consciousness, the oneness, the interconnectedness of it all. And when we have that experience that the indigenous people uh, cultivated through the rites of passage, which the young people introducing them to these plants in ceremonies with the elders, it, it passed on from one generation to the next, right relationship, respectful, right relationship with these powers of creation that give us life. So there's a model there of how to use these substances responsibly because they can be used irresponsibly and they are power, just like fire just like atomic energy. And they can be used in hurtful ways and destructive ways. And it's not inherent that just because you eat the plant or the pill or the derivative of it or whatever, that you're gonna have a blissful experience of cosmic consciousness. It has the potential for that to be so, but a lot of that is dependent on the set and setting, your intention uh, that the person takes into it, how to prepare for it. And uh, I think a key dynamic in that regard is recognizing that it's not just a physical substance you're taking, but you're taking a substance, a material that has a spiritual entity, a consciousness to it that comes from nature, is a manifestation of nature and the wisdom of nature, which is 
the wisdom of the cosmos, with the God of spirit, whatever you want to call it, manifesting through nature. So I think raising consciousness about, hey, here's the problem, here's the root problem of it. Uh, there's ways to address this that we have models for of, that are socially integrative models mm -hmm. as cultures that can open the, the doorway of awareness to be able to look at our human needs, our collective human needs, and how to meet them in, in a way that creates a win-win-win world for all people, all beings living in harmony, justice, and balance. And raising consciousness about the root problem of it, how to, here's a means of addressing it for people who feel a desire to, to heal their own existential angst, to be able to recognize that your material uh, acquisitions have not brought you peace of mind because you mentioned the, the ego identity, as soon as we identify the totality of our being as an ego, we've committed an act of violence because we've separated in our consciousness ourselves from creation. And as soon as we do that, there's gonna be anxiety, there's gonna be the fear. Now we're competing for the scarce goods as compared to how can we work cooperatively together, which has been the history of what the indigenous people did. How can we work cooperatively together to create a win-win for all of us? Because if any of us loses out, ultimately we all lose. And that's where we are now. So this is a long ramble, but hopefully- it it's a, No, it's beautifully put. Uh, and it raises lots of interesting questions for me. Um, you do a lot of work with rites of passage. And uh -huh. I know that's an important part of your practice and that you see the value in, uh, I guess, socializing or re-socializing young people and not just young people into a different way of thinking. Um, so can you imagine a time where our culture would design a rite of passage around psychedelics or has it already and, and used it that way as, a, as just a kind of one of the things you pass through becoming a member of our society, um, but that would socialize you in a, in a different way than current rites of passage do, such yeah. as we have them. Yeah. I love what, what when in, in How to Change Your Mind in the introduction, you, you wrote about for that for the first time in history, the young had a rite of passage all their own, the acid trip. And, and, and dad, you know, you've, you've done so much work with rites of passage, taking us and, um, you know, the, your grandkids out and on rites of passage. Um, and yet, how do we bring that to the masses, right? Because right now we're so divided. And, and how do we build these bridges so that more people can have access to, to rites of passage that are healthy and meaningful and, and lead to healthier ways of being? Well, education, uh, it starts with education, raising conscious awareness. With um, Biden and uh, Kamala Harris uh, coming into office, um, they're not gonna magically change everything and everything's gonna be cool and groovy. But, they bring in an openness because they're good human beings. They bring in an openness to begin to deal with truth instead of lies. Mm. Part of our healing means we need to bring awareness to the truth of, of the history of this country, which we have been lied to about from day one and leads to the, the mythologies of Americans, exceptionalism, where the defenders of freedom, the good guys around the world and the opposite is true. So opening up our awareness to the truth of what has been, because we can only heal the wounds of the past if we address the truth of what has been, opening our awareness to the truth of what is right now and the truth of the potentiality of what could be. So uh, 
education, raising consciousness, and the specifics of what uh, Michael, you were asking about rites of passage. Uh, you, you've read Huxley's Island, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So he has a beautiful model of a rite of passage in his book, Island, about the young people, uh, young teenagers who go through training with the elders in the culture that helps them learn how to deal with their feelings, helps them learn how to deal with their sexuality, helps them learn how to deal with, with uh, power, helps them begin to open awareness to, to uh, the gifts of life and how to be in responsible relationship with the gifts of life. And then when they're, they've reached a certain point in their training where the elders that they've been working with see that they've reached that point, then they're introduced to the experience of, of, this, of the, uh, I think you call it the moksha. Mok moksha, moksha. Uh, psychedelic medicine taken in a ritual ceremony with, uh, with, with, with their peers, peers who have gone through that kind of training. So the experience, it's, it's um, facilitated, it's, it's prepared for uh, through education and through work and the different levels of the dimensionality of their being. We're brought into that experience that's, that's led by an elder. And, um, and then their work with the fruits that come through that. The, the, when you take psychedelics, you really, and you open to it and you surrender and you practice humility, you're gonna get assignments. You're gonna see what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get assignments and it might take a kick in the ass to help you open up to and this is what you need to do different if you really want healing if you really want to achieve the higher potentials of what you're capable of living and being and and co-creating with others in this life you're going to get assignments you're going to get homework so the importance of recognizing the psychedelic experience is just one part of a larger whole preparation integration yeah. following and so raising consciousness about how to, the potentials of this tools, how it can be helpful to the difficulties and challenges we're facing today, and how it can be approached and used responsibly. Yeah, uh, and, and also what's, well, what's significant, I think, about Huxley, too, is he's saying that we may have to design our own rites of passage, that, that we can't necessarily take them from traditional cultures, they meant that might not, I mean, we need our own container for this, for this right or, or, or for these powerful chemicals. And I, and I think that's one of the really interesting cultural projects of the next few years. I mean, we have a medical model um, that's working pretty well and, is, and will probably lead to the approval of some of these substances as medicines. And we have a kind of religious model in that we have ayahuasca churches that have been recognized by the government. Um, but there's some other model in between um, that I think still needs to be built and it will probably borrow elements from traditional religions, um, but it's gonna be something, a product of our culture. And in a way, the underground guides are, are working on that now. Um, I mean, that they're, they're developing ways to, to do exactly what you're describing. Um, and because uh, I, I do think that's very important to reach people who are, as you say, have angst, they're not necessarily mentally ill, they're, they're not content with their lot, even though they're materially and you know, doing very well, um, and that these medicines have something to offer them too. But the structure, the, the container, I think is what's so important. 
And, you know, you're one of the things you bring as an elder in this movement is, is deep knowledge of the way they're used in traditional cultures. And, um, uh, and that obviously is a very important resource for, for the rest of us, since these cultures know something we don't know or, or have, have not forgotten it. Um, but I just wonder if, if those models need to be a, a, adapted in some ways to suit our, who we are now, because we're not, you know, we've come a long way from any kind of, you know, that kind of intimacy with nature, that kind of sense of oneness. Um, or do you think those models still work? I mean, you went to Mexico and you spent time with the Huichol and, and um, you know, do they need to be, do they need to be adapted or can we, or can they be simply borrowed? Well, I think, I think there is need for adaption of uh, the forms, but I think the uh, dynamics of the process have relevance no matter what the form. There needs to be some kind of preparation the forms of that, what it says, this meeting's been- I'm up. sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, it should keep going. Um, yeah. Can you just repeat what you just said there, Dad, about it needs to be- I Yeah, so I'm, I'm good. I'll keep going. Okay. So um, how foolish it would be, of course, to just hand the substance out the way Leary suggested. You're asking for trouble, right? Right. So initial dynamic is preparation. There needs to be a some kind of preparation. The form of that, uh, the content of that, I think that, that that's going to vary depending upon the specific population you're addressing. But that has to be addressed. Preparation. Yes. Looking at intention, helping part of the preparation is, is the, the vital importance of intention. What? Why do you seek this? What's your purpose? What are you seeking? And uh, if you're given what you're seeking, you may or may not be given what you're seeking well, and this is all part of the preparation process, then um, what will you do with it? Will mm -hmm. you what you're given? Because uh, it might not be easy. It might be making major changes in your life that are not in your ego's comfort zone. But if you're sincere about seeking um, healing, if it's healing you're seeking, if you're sincere about wanting to uh, raise your level of consciousness to a higher level to, for, for a spiritual communion, for creative expression or so getting clear about your intention and if you're given it will you honor what you're what you've been given and then mm -hmm. our facing dynamic is um uh what are you willing to give of yourself in relationship to what you're seeking and that in itself is like a, a stick in the spokes breaking set from our culture because our culture is all about gimme 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 take take right you won't give it to me, not a problem. We'll send in the Marines, kick your ass and take it anyway. So uh, what, are you, what are you willing to give of yourself? So just those kinds of questions start to take people to a deeper level. So preparation is vital. And then I think it's vital to give people some, as part of the preparation, uh, an understanding of what kind of the range of experiences they can have and how to work with those experiences. And that entails information about identity that we've all grown up with an ego identity. And it's not that ego is bad, but the model I like is, is uh, you're, you're, if you're driving in your car and you've got your two-year-old child in the back or grandchild in the back and you're tired, 
uh, you're not going to say, uh, little Billy, would you come up here and take the steering wheel and I'm going to take a nap and you drive? Mm -hmm. So, But that's what we do with our ego. In, in our ignorance, we've identified the totality of who we are as our ego and nothing more. And so we're missing the deepest part of who we are. So education in regards to those dynamics, there's more to you than who you think you are. There's more to you than your stories. There's more to you than your dramas. There's more to you than I call your software programming about who you are. There's a whole lot more to you. And that's, that's, that's the divinity that's available to you through grace. So uh, ed education about that. So when you take the medicine, you can have an experience if you take enough that begins to dissolve that ego identity and then in our culture, oh, I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind. That's a negative. And the truth is, on a deeper level of understanding, you are losing your mind. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise <laughs> be. There's more of your mind than you think. And this is an opportunity to practice surrendering and opening with humility to that larger that will inform and transform you. So teaching people something about the, uh, the possibilities uh, that can come through the experience. And then also... Uh, and then, then the second phase, the, however the form of it's going to be, is the experience is, is, it itself. How do you set up this, the, the setting that's uh, sacred to those people who are there? So if it's Catholics, there'd be Catholics there. Nature stuff. So you, you create a setting that's meaningful to the people of, uh, that, that are coming into the experience. There's someone they trust that they've been through a preparation process who knows the territory, who knows how to work with the different possibilities that can come up and hold that container and support the people and like a labor coach helping them through their labor to deliver a healthy delivery. And then the third uh, dynamic that I think is non-negotiable is the importance of emphasis on integration. Yeah. And those three uh, dynamics, so to speak, I think those need to be there if we're going to have sa a safe, responsible, uh, productive, fruitful experiences for people. The specific forms of them, I think, as I, as I referred to a moment ago, make it meaningful to the beliefs and values of the people you're working with. Those forms. Yeah, yeah I think that's really wise to, to kind of pull out the fundamental dynamic or elements uh, and that the forms can be somewhat flexible depending on people's orientation. And the forms could, could resemble familiar religious forms or be very novel. Yeah. Um, but I, I think those are, I, that's a great description of the basic elements and how important they are. That's, uh, uh, Michael, a funny thing I was gonna share when um, I was 16 and wanting to go do mushrooms for the first time, just for fun, you know, I'm a teenager. And um, my dad says he'll. What? You wanted to do what? He'll, no, he's <laughs> like, yeah, well, you're going to get them for me to make sure they're safe and not laced with anything. Um, and then the next thing, this is to my boyfriend and I at the time, he says, well, what's your intention? And, and what's your, what kind of ceremony are you going to like, you know, do to give thanks? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just want to have fun, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, but you said something really interesting, Michael, just now, like, you know, we, we don't know what the form is going to be. We're at this interesting time in history, kind of, not kind of, um, pretty tumultuous where there's a lot of darkness and a lot of suffering and, and we're at this crossroads and, and which way are we going to go? Right. Um, and, and, so I'm curious if you have any thoughts thinking about and with your, you know, um, 
the research you've done and, and the work that, you know, that you've both done um, with the history of psychedelics and plant medicine and where it could go and what that form might look like in terms of bringing that into, you know, the popular culture more and crossing bridges with that. You know, I think it begins given our culture with psychotherapy. Um, you know, we, we can say the medical model is not enough, but many, many of us seek psychotherapy, whether we're mentally ill or not. I mean, just to, to solve problems, people go see shrinks, their health insurance covers it, um, to some extent. And, uh, and that's how we understand. I mean, some people are spiritual enough to go to spiritual leaders, but most people are not. And in our secular culture, those are the that's where we gravitate. So I think you'll see an expansion of use of psychedelics in the psychotherapeutic context, um, whether these are licensed psychologists or psychiatrists or you know MSWs. I'm not sure, but I, I, I see that's kind of where there'll be a lot of growth. Is that adequate? Is that the right container? It could be. I think if it's if if these people work with care and, and are attending to the, you know, to the, the, the fundamental ingredients that, uh, that Tom was describing. Um, I also see a growth in um, new churches around psychedelics. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of interest. Uh, I mean, as we look at different ways to, to bring these medicines out of the dark where they're illegal, Obviously, there's the medical FDA approval method. Um, there has been, as I mentioned earlier, uh, court cases that have given Native Americans the right to use them, but also two ayahuasca churches. And religious freedom is being defined so broadly by this right-wing court that many people think they've opened the door to other churches. Uh, it could be, you know, um, San Pedro churches or psilocybin churches, or maybe even LSD churches. Um, and that that will be the place people go. And uh, you know, we can only hope that they're serious churches and not just churches in name only, that they, that they do what churches do and create the proper ritual containers for the experience. Um, but it seems to me that's another path that uh, that's open. Um, yeah. but I'm not very good at predicting the future. <laughs> and I, I think we're in a, you know, we're at the beginning of something. I mean, these are, these substances may be ancient, um, but not in our culture. And so there's going to be, a, as there has already been a lot of tumult and mistakes and, um, you know, it's going to be a learning process of how best to use them. And, and that's why the resources of, of traditional cultures, you know, that Tom has, I mean, Tom has brought a lot of that into the movement. Um, and he's not the only one. I, mean, I know other people who, who have had the similar kinds of experiences with traditional cultures and, and how much that has informed their approach. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, a, that's an important avenue. And yet, of course, that's controversial now too. And I'd be curious to know what Tom, you think about this with, uh, you know, the conversation around cultural appropriation. I've just been writing a, a long piece for a book chapter on mescaline. And I'm sure you're aware of the tension between the Native American church and the white Americans who are um, advancing decriminalization of, of, uh, of psychedelics. 
that they don't want to see, Native Americans, many of them don't want to see peyote use decriminalized. Um, and for totally defensible reasons, it seems to me. Yeah, I think the um, whole issue of, of uh, cultural appropriation is a very uh, powerful one. In fact, uh, several people in my uh, Live Love Now weekly uh, Zoom joining have raised that issue and want me to address it. So I think next Wednesday I'm gonna do that. Oh, good. Uh, I might tune in if I can. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. It's, I'm trying to build spiritual community and uh, to, to, to help people um, connect and attune with, with a higher consciousness and then bring it through as spiritual activists. So it's not just mm -hmm. interior, but showing up to make the changes that we need to make on the physical plane. So um, when I first, uh, early 70s, uh, the first native uh, teacher that I worked with said, you're going to have to learn how to, to um, what do you call, penetrate the buckskin curtain. And he put me through a number of tests himself, uh, including when I first went out on my first vision quest almost 50 years ago, which, which let me also add, in addition to the work with psychedelics, I think one of the most powerful ways in my own life and having been led, led people in vision quests for almost half a century, is the vision quest experience itself, where you go out and again, through preparation and training and you go out uh, into what we call the wilderness, but it's yeah. ludicrous concept to native people, uh, but into what God made and what in, in the world of nature, you deliberately deny yourself eating for a period of time, you fast, you, you practice patience staying out there with minimal equipment. Uh, for three, four days and nights, and you pay attention, and your consciousness is going to get altered. You will experience an altered state of consciousness, and it's going to begin to dissolve those, those, those perceptual membranes of separation to where you see and experience the, the interconnectedness of it all, and the wonder and the awe and the magnificence and the beauty of it. It's literally mind-blowing. So uh, the importance of the Vision Quest experience in that regard. So with my first teacher, um, when I was preparing for a vision quest, I think it was maybe my second one at the time, and I met him and he was teaching me. And uh, he said, you know, when you go out on a vision quest, you should come back exhausted. And my thinking about that prior to his making that statement was, no, I'm gonna come back exalted. I'm gonna get high, I'm gonna have a great time. It's gonna be incredible. And so I said to him, why, why, what do you mean exhausted? He said, when was the last time you lie down on Mother Earth. You went out on the Earth, and you lie down on your belly on the Earth, and you put your face next to hers, and you said thank you to her. When was the last time you did that? Because she has been giving to you 24/7 your entire life. When was the last time you said thank you and you meant it? It wasn't just even just lip service, but from your heart, embodied. And the answer at the time was never. And so that was a big opening in my own consciousness mm -hmm. of the imbalance in my own life and seeking healing and vision at the time I was, I don't know, in the twenties or something, just starting out, uh, seeking vision guidance for my life, a purpose that would be fulfilling for me, uh, wanting to get, get, get. He said, so you, you, you get an opportunity on a vision quest to address that imbalance by going back out there and the whole, time you're out there is you go to you go to the east where the sun comes up and you give thanks in a way that's meaningful to you and you go to the south and the west and the north 
and you give thanks to the powers that come to you from above and below and the powers and the power that's in the center from which everything comes from. And you spend your whole time giving thanks. You can begin to address your imbalance. And he said, maybe if you, it makes me cry, I said, if you live long enough, maybe you'll be able to even ascertain what it means to be a holy person, maybe. Mm. So the, um, he, he eventually, when I came back from the vision quest and shared my experiences with him, he's the one who opened the curtain and brought me into a ceremony, my first ceremony mm. with indigenous people. Is that what you mean by piercing the buckskin uh, curtain? Yeah. And, and so I met uh, medicine uh, people there. And, um, and, and I would hear from them um, their anger and pain for the way they had and continued to be treated. And so part of my testing was to be present and to take that in, to hear and not defend or not run away, but to hear their pain, their anger, their, their suffering as a result of the what has been done to them and not just historically but continues the, the yeah. dishonoring of all the treaty rights not honoring their sovereignty the genocide the you know all of it so um, i also learned from the native people that if you want to um the, the, if i pass their tests uh, and they would share they would begin to share with me they said then you have to know the truth of of what's actually happening is still happening here and you have to give back you cannot just take or then ju you're just another white honky coming in here to rip us off and take what suits you and take it off and use it to your benefit and you're 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 a great shaman and you're doing these workshops and making a million dollars and but the importance of of getting involved as an ally with indigenous people and the issues that are facing them and become actively involved as an ally in working with those issues. Then you become an ally. Mm -hmm. And it's not just taking, but you're giving an equal measure. And when we, when my, my experience with native people, when, they, when I've been tested that way, and they, they, they listen deeper into uh, your soul and your essence, then, uh, then the doorway opens for that deeper connection. And it's not it's not appropriation, but there's also a shift, uh, back and forth, and there's recognition. Like I said, the truth of history of what's actually taking place and still is, and you get actively involved in in in, in those issues. Now we're now we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Now we're working. Yeah. Now this is what it's all about. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question that's relevant to what I've been working on and get your take on it? Um, and it, it relates to Native Americans. You know, I've been looking a lot at the Native American church in peyote, but also at San Pedro and synthetic mescaline. And I'm curious to know what in your view is, is unique about that class of medicines, the ones that are based on mescaline. Um, does it, what qualities do you think are distinctive about it as compared to psilocybin or, you know, any number of others? Well, it's a little difficult for me to answer that in the way I think you would, would honor what you're asking. And that's because um, over the years of taking and working with so many of these medicines on a regular basis, uh, they all take me to the same place. Mm. 
That's we interesting. Are just taking it to the oneness. Yeah. And being a channel for, for its light and love and being a channel, a vessel for that, extending it out to the people I'm with and out into the world. So it just takes me into that oneness. But that's, that's the result of over a half a century of working with these materials. So going back to when I first, my first experiences with, with Mescaline, with Peyote, uh, mm, let me just listen. Let me mm -hmm. the memory circuits there. Well, the first thing is that really connected with the earth, more connected with the earth. Mm -hmm. More. While there, there was obviously some very powerful visionary experiences, still less, less visionary than LSD or, or the mushrooms, uh, more teaching, teaching through visions, but also uh, without visions, just deepening uh, clarity, wisdom of, of things that are true about how the universe actually works. So I'll, I'll give you an example from, uh, from experience. Yeah, please. Once uh, early on with the Huicholes in, in uh, their holy land, where Ikuta harvesting, having ceremoniously, ceremonially harvested the medicine and the fire, sacred fire that evening with the shaman, uh, conducting the ceremonies, becoming into a state of impeotalo, as they say, under the influence of the medicine. So my eyes are closed. And I feel my energy being taken down into the earth where we are. We're at a, we're at a high plateau, desert plateau, 6,000 feet elevation. I feel uh, my, my awareness is taken down into the earth there. And I, and I see and feel the vibration of the earth. And I, and I hear its, its vibration as a, as a language, as a song. I, I hear it. And, and then I see in this vision down in the earth, this, then I see the Huichol people in their colorful costumes and their colorful clothing. And I see the vibration of the language of the earth coming into their bodies, because they eat them, they, they're, they're eating plants that grow there from that. Mm -hmm. And I see the vibration of the, of the earth as, a, as coming out of them in a language, in their Huichol language. And I see, this is the, the, the language, the indigenous language coming out of the earth is is the vibration of the earth spirits in this particular place. And it contains the information about how to be in right relationship with the land there and the spirits there. So that can be, so life can be sustained in, in, in a healthy way. So I'm, I'm seeing all of that in my, with my eyes closed, but the language, the indigenous languages come out of the vibration of the earth in these different places. And then I, and I, and I see the people in this vision, uh, in a, in a circle in a ceremony singing their songs that are the language of the earth and then i open my eyes and there there is what i've just seen on the inner plane is exactly on the outer plane the same thing mm -hmm. there it is there's the language of the earth so the peyote for me uh ancestor spirits the the, the earth connection the spirits of the earth the spirit of the fire spirit of all the natural elements that the, the medicine for me, of course, it was in that context. I had taken peyote a few times before, once with a group of guys back in, the, in different situations that weren't ceremonial uh, and didn't get that much out of it. 
It wasn't until I walked into right relationship with this particular medicine that's based on respect and humility and, and, uh, and um, gratitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Opened a deeper level of connection and experience with it. So very much for me in that early learning and is, is connecting with the energy of the earth, the wisdom of the earth as expressed in the language of the people. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, there, there's a great lesson in the importance of uh, set and setting, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I want to be um, respectful of, of your time. Um, if I can just ask two more questions. Are you okay with that, Michael? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so um, the first one is um, when you think of the phrase, so something my dad, a phrase my dad uses a lot is a new vision of living. And it's, it's about you know, integrating, taking that in ancient indigenous wisdom um, and, and applying it to our, our you know, modern challenges, the, the current challenges of, of the day. And, and so when you think of the phrase, a new vision of living, um, I'm curious, Michael, if you could share what comes up for you also. Well, what I immediately thought of is um, one of the most powerful things plant medicines have done for me, we alluded this, to this earlier, is allowed me to see plants as subjects and not just objects. And I had played with that idea kind of intellectually in, in a book I wrote many years ago called The Botany of Desire, where I pointed out that, you know, we are in a co-evolutionary relationship with these plants. And that means that not only are we changing them through either deliberate or uh, inadvertent selection, they're changing us too. And we are a part of their survival strategy. And I kind of understood that intellectually, but it was only um, when I had some experiences with psilocybin and specifically in my garden, but it's happened a few times since that I was aware of their presence, the force of their presence uh, in a way I never had. That was an enormous gift. It, it, it you know, in terms of uh, imbuing my attitude toward plants with more gratitude and more um, uh, respect, it was decisive. Um, so that for me has been what, you know, a new way of living has meant. Um, it goes beyond that. I mean, there are social things I've gotten out of using plant medicines, largely having to do with gratitude um, uh, for people in my life. Um, people I, you know, took for granted. I, I've come out of experiences, you know, with not only do I have to call my mother, I have to go see her right away. <laughs> and- um, You're a good boy, Michael. <laughs> and uh so you know all that has been um been valuable but i i don't think i am too i'm very far down the road of what i have to learn yeah i really am a beginner I, i'm a late bloomer um i didn't start as a i didn't have that lsd experience in 1966 um so i yeah but I you feel explore i'm sorry You've been an explorer and a seeker and, and looking for different ways to learn. And in learn. one way or another, yes. But yeah. plant medicines, you know, has been recent. And learning about indigenous culture has been very recent. It was just not a part of my 
my frame of reference. And, um, and in a way it's, it's plant medicines that, writing about them that brought me into uh, the need to know more about indigenous cultures because we're looking for that, that reservoir of wisdom on how to use them well. And, uh, um, and as you know, your father so eloquently put it, that's, that's where that, the, the information we need is there even if, we are, if we're gonna adapt it. Yeah. Can I just add one thing here? Michael, you spoke about the, the plants, if I understood you right, helping you to open to gratitude more. Like, yeah. yeah. So it reminds me of uh, uh, Thomas Merton's uh, statement. I, I can paraphrase it very accurately, but the essence was if when we walk down the street and we pass another person and we really saw, we really stopped to see, then we would fall on our knees in gratitude and awe because of the miracle of life. And yeah. that's one of the things the plants do. They can open, our, open up our consciousness to the, to the awesomeness, to the absolute miraculous manifestation of life in all of its, all of its forms. Right, right now outside my door, a week or so, two weeks ago, the, the rose bushes were trimmed. And now there's, there's the little, little stems coming, the little sprouts coming up and leaves coming out. And it's, it just blows my mind every time I see it, the miraculousness of what in our culture we've been, our senses have been deadened. Yeah, they have. But also I think we protect ourselves against that, that experience of continuous amazement because <laughs> um, it's exhausting. And, and I think a lot of mental energy goes into defending ourselves against what's right in front of us. Um, so we can focus on those very egoistic goals yeah. uh, in a single-minded single way. Single-mindedness is, right, is, is, is overvalued in our culture. Multi-mindedness is probably what we need more of. I would just offer a seed of, of shape-shifting the notion of it being exhausting to it can also be joyful, just in the course yes. of just, just singing. Great to see you guys. You're looking great, man. Beautiful. You know, just go on with our lives. You know, the, 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 the wind blowing. Yes, thank you, thank you. And I think it's possible to do both. And the more we can open up to that, I, I agree. I aspire to that. I aspire to that. Um, to keep that. Keep, I mean, awe is for most of us a very intermittent experience, right? It's it's so important. It's for me, it's one of the essences of spirituality. Um, but continual awe is is a difficult state to maintain. But we can we we can contain uh, a continual attitude of gratitude. No question, no question, and I think that that's vitally important. Yeah, I aspire to that too. You wanted to ask. You wanted to ask. Yeah, I was curious what Michael you said. You know that that we're protecting ourselves, protecting ourselves from what? Strong feelings. Mm -hmm. um, I think from emotion. Uh, awe is an emotion. It's, it's a big emotion. And, um, and I think we spend a lot of mental energy keeping emotions like that at bay, the better to pursue whatever narrow goals we have. Um, awe is a, is, is, is a really big deal. And it's something that I learned a lot about from plant medicines. Um, and it, it also helps you transcend self, right? When you're in awe, you're, it's not about you, it's about out there. But I think our everyday lives require us to put it, keep it at bay um, more than we should. But I think that, you know, in terms of 
uh, I have to come in from the garden and sit down to write, you know, <laughs> every day. And um, so I go to my other plant medicine, caffeine, which helped me do that. <laughs> That's the ego building plant medicine, right? Another book building plant medicine. <laughs> yes, it is a good book building plant medicine without question. This is a little bit of myself in my latest book. Uh-huh, really? <laughs> yeah, between right. the two of you guys, you guys have written like, I don't know, 16, 17 books, I think. Um, uh, oh gosh, what was I just gonna ask? Um, you had a second question you wanted to ask, did you ask that? Yeah, but then you guys made me think of something else. Um, uh, gosh, just this ba the balance of um, living, you know, the indigenous, people i think there's definitely there's more value on beingness as opposed to doing yes it, right? doing yes and i agree and i think that's one of the, the big uh, seesaws that we live with is like yeah. the relation between being and doing and and for me the mescaline containing cacti definitely uh put a big weight on the being side of things mm -hmm. um that it, i found very useful in the direction toward beingness yeah, toward emphasizing being and like doing not so important. Right, right. Yeah, finding finding that that balance and and how to be productive in a society and and I mean we need to be productive to eat and to you know stay alive. But um, yeah, no, there's a place for all that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> being so, my my last question, if um, I can just have one more minute of both of your time, is. Um, is when you think, you know, 30, 40, 50 years into the future and um, it's your, you know, last moments on earth and, and, and you're thinking of like, what's one kernel that, um, that your life experiences, that the plant medicine, um, your, you know, inner relationship with, with people being here um, on this earth, what's one kernel of wisdom that you would really wanna make sure that you pass on as your legacy? Just that. Yeah, that's the big one. I, you know, when I was writing about food, the last question was always, what would your last meal be? Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is the equivalent. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know, for me, it's like notice more. Mm. No, I, I, I think the failure to notice what's right in front of us is um, in our quest to do a lot, to get somewhere. Um, is a, I think at least it's a personal failing. I mean, some people are better at it than others, but one of the things that plant medicines have slowed me down for enough to do is to notice things I don't notice. I'm not a good noticer. And uh, every time I stop and start noticing things, time opens up in a really beautiful way. So I, I mean, yeah, if somebody was asking me for a piece of advice on the way out the door, that might be it. But I'd have to think more about it to, be, to really give you a thoughtful answer. I'm sorry. Tom, what would yours be? I love, I love that answer, Michael. I think it's beautiful. Notice more. I love that. Thank you. So one of the truths that the years of uh, vision questing and, and uh, in nature and using nature to vision quest internally through the plant medicines has uh, helped me see as a truth in my own experience is that the essence of our being is love. Mm. The essence of our being is love. We don't have to create it. We don't have to pray for it. In being alive, we have a choice if we're paying attention about whether we attune to it or not. And so to me, uh, the most important thing about life in, into the last breath of 
death is as long as you're alive, as long as I'm alive, I have the ability, all the resources, all of us do as human beings to be able to live love now. Mm. Love is forgiving. To go in my heart, open, bring awareness into my heart, face, face the, uh, the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, take care of that, clean them up, open the pipes up and turn the spigot on and let the love flow. And mm -hmm. the more I do that, the more my experience of being alive is enriched. And I hope to uh, be able to carry that awareness right into my last breath, however that might come. Live love now. Live love now. That's beautiful. Love it. Thank you for that. Yeah. Michael, Thank hey, thanks for your time, man. When this shit's over with the COVID, let's get together, man. I look forward to that. Uh, more in-person, less Zoom life. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, thanks for bringing us together and wonderful job of helping us open in the cold for, for setting it up and your, yeah your cooperation michael great great to be together oh uh, my pleasure you know i i have enormous respect for what you do so i was happy to be able to do something to help get out the word thank you really, take really care of you guys and have a good weekend okay thank you look forward to seeing you again soon yes bye bye thank bye. you thanks again for joining us today make sure to check back regularly for more inspiration and if you enjoyed this, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Apple Podcasts telling us what you learned. Also, share it with a friend via text or email. Remember, most of all, you are a sacred, worthy, luminous being, and we are so thrilled to share this regenerative journey with you.